Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives a detailed testimony of his conversion to Jesus Christ. Do you have a lifestyle of consistently testifying to the work of Jesus Christ in your life? It is certainly our joy and our responsibility to increasingly speak about Jesus and testify to his overwhelming love and grace and mercy and goodness in every aspect of our lives. Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 1 and look at this incredible testimony of our spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you and above all growing to obey him more and more and more in every aspect of your life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally. Uh, we want every aspect of our life of our life to grow, to be more like Jesus, to grow in Christ likeness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Today we're going to continue. We're in the book of Galatians, um, uh, chapter one today, we're going to do verses 13 to 24, Lord willing. Um, I'll start reading in verse 11, just as a, a quick review. And, um, Lord willing, we'll get through the end of the chapter. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us and for living a perfect, righteous life for us and for dying a perfect righteous death for us, Lord, and we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open the word of God to our hearts now. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, Galatians 1, verses 13 to 24, and I'll actually start reading in verse 11. Paul speaking, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. <clears throat> 
Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. <clears throat> thank you, Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling this man. And we do praise you, Lord, for calling Paul and for the, the work, Lord, that you, do, that you did in him and through him, Lord, and the work that was accomplished in the ministry that you gave him. Father, I thank you for for all of us that you have called into your kingdom. I thank you for your mercy and your favor and your goodness and your grace. And we do praise you today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, so we got through verse uh, 12 last time. So we'll just do a quick review in 11 and 12. Paul said, I want you to know, verse 11, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. Every other religion beside biblical Christianity is man-made. Now, the Old Testament is given to us. It's the word of God. But without the New Testament, it's incomplete. Okay, so um, if you're in Judaism today, if you're Jewish today, and you have not received Jesus Christ, then your faith is incomplete. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can be forgiven of our sins that we can have relationship with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we can be delivered from eternal hell, and that we can ultimately go to heaven when we die. And then all the other religions, whatever they may be, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, um, all the New Age religions, um, all the, the perverted different denominations of Christianity, all of these are, are man-made, okay? Um, only true biblical orthodox Christianity is true Christianity. And, and what I mean by that is just the plain revelation given to us in the scriptures. Okay. Um, this is why we do this. We just go through the word of God verse by verse. So we can just, we can just teach the word of God. We can just get the word of God out there um, so people can hear it and learn from it, and be encouraged and built up in it. But he says in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul, unlike the rest of us, okay, all of us as Christians were taught the gospel from someone else. We may have been taught it just by reading the Bible, right? By reading what Paul wrote here, we learned from Paul the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, we all hear the gospel. We hear it preached. We might have read it in a tract somewhere. Um, we might have heard it in church. Um, we might have heard it from our parents, um, you know, but all of us as, as Christians today receive the gospel from some servant of Jesus Christ, right? And again, we may have just be reading our Bible and received it from Paul here. That's not what happened with Paul. Paul, Paul received the gospel of Jesus Christ directly from Jesus. You can see the account in Acts chapter 9, where he's headed to persecute the church, as he's going to say here in verse 13. 
Um, and, you know, he's knocked off his horse and Jesus himself reveals himself to Paul, um, rebukes Paul for, for, you know, for all the persecution that, that uh, Paul was doing against Christians um, and then calls him into his service. It's incredible. So, again, we all learn the gospel. Okay, the gospel, the good news, right, that a savior has come, that that Jesus Christ, God, the son, became a human man for all the world. He lived a perfect, righteous, obedient life on behalf of all of us and died a perfect, righteous, obedient death on our behalf and in our place and was raised from the dead. Okay, now, when we believe that and put our full trust in and confidence and faith in Christ alone and what he did on our behalf and in our place, we're saved from our sin. All of our sin, personally, past sin, present sin, and future sin, is credited to Jesus at the cross. And the perfect righteous life that Jesus lived is credited to us. That exchange, that incredible exchange, that incredible love, the exchange of all of my sin for the, the perfect obedience of Christ. That exchange is the heart of the gospel, of the good news, right? It's incredible. Um, and Paul received that directly from Jesus, right? Where, as I said, you and I, we learn it from other servants of Jesus Christ, whether from Paul himself um, or from, you know, when we read the scriptures, or, you know, from a brother or sister in Christ, you know, from whom we heard the good news. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's very encouraging when Paul says that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. He wants to make it clear that what he is sharing here didn't come from any human being. Okay. Um, uh, biblical Christianity is not some made-up notion in the mind of man. It's the true word of God, okay? Again, that's why we do all of this. If it was just something made up by man, this whole thing would be a ridiculous waste of time, right? All right, rap. Verse 13, <clears throat> Paul speaking <clears throat> says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Paul now is going to is, is giving a testimony, right? He's giving his testimony of what his life was like before he came to Christ. Um, the value of our testimony is is it, it cannot be overstated. Again, your testimony and there, and, and and our testimonies never end. There's a testimony for how we came to Christ. There's a testimony for how we came to understand the gospel and gave our lives to Jesus Christ. And for some of us, it's a radical testimony. For others, you were born and raised in Jesus Christ and you were a Christian and genuinely believed and trusted in Jesus Christ for as long as you can remember. Um, and so we want to certainly testify about that, but we, we want to consistently give testimony for what Jesus is doing in our lives and how he's doing it, right? Um, Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word 
of their testimony, okay? So we become overcomers, right? We become victorious in our walk with Christ, first by the blood of Christ. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. It's always Jesus first, okay? That's why we don't get any credit for it, okay? It's always Jesus first that, that allows us to overcome. But it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So um, after trusting in Christ, we continually testify for the rest of our lives to what Jesus is doing and how he's done it in every aspect of our lives, right? So Paul here is now going to give a testimony of how his, you know, how he lived before he came to Christ. And, and he says here that they've already heard this. So he says, for you have heard, verse 13, of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Now, obviously, this isn't complimentary. It's horribly sinful, okay? When you read the accounts in Acts 9, Paul was having Christians put to death. Um, when you read the account and in, uh, the incredible account in Acts 7, Paul had Stephen put to death, the first martyr for Jesus Christ. Um, he was Saul at the time. Um, and, you know, uh, he changed his name to Paul after becoming a Christian. But this gives hope to all of us. I was, I was thinking this morning how, uh, I don't know, I was on my way to a diner. I just had coffee by myself. And, um, you know, there were people who believe that their lives are too bad or they've done too much wrong or they've been too evil for the gospel to apply to them. We need to understand that at the foot of the cross, every human being that ever lived is equal. We are all equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, which is to say, all of us need a savior. Every single human being is sinful and fall short of God's holy standard, Romans 3.23, right? Jesus out of his own mouth in John 14 said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14.6. Um, but there are many people, and you know, all of us have lived at different levels of disobedience, all of us have lived at different levels of sinfulness. Now, I'll say again, it doesn't matter whether you're Hitler or the most seemingly innocent person in the world, every single person needs a savior, okay? Every person is sinful. Every person, you know, is headed for eternal hell without Jesus Christ. But again, just like, you know, all of us do different levels of, of good deeds and good works, um, you know, all of us have different levels of, of sinfulness and wickedness and disobedience in our lives. Now, I say this because it doesn't get really any worse than Saul, okay, who later became Paul and wrote this letter. It doesn't get any worse than this, okay? He was having Christians killed. He was zealous for it. He intensely tried to persecute and destroy the entire church of Jesus Christ, okay? So it doesn't matter how much evil we've done, okay? Christ is not concerned about your past. He's concerned about you giving your life to him right now, wherever you are, 
regardless of what you've done, okay, you probably haven't gone out and tried to kill and destroy all the Christians in the church, okay? So this was the man that Jesus revealed himself to and called him to be what most believe to be the greatest Christian to ever live, okay? And so he had the worst past possible. So whatever sin you've lived in and however bad you think it is, and it is bad, all of us are hopeless, helpless, and wretched. But again, some of us, yes, have lived in more deliberate evil and sinfulness than others. None of that keeps us from Christ, okay? What Jesus is concerned with is that today you give your life to Jesus Christ and he'll do with you as he did with Paul. You'll be forgiven of your sin. God the Father will become your heavenly father. Jesus Christ will become your Lord and Savior and Master and King. Uh, the Holy Spirit will become your guide, your counselor, your comforter. You'll become a new creation in Jesus Christ. You'll become a a new creature, you'll, you'll, you'll pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. Jesus will come live inside you. The Holy Spirit will be one with you and you will have eternal life, living, vibrant, spiritual, eternal life. And you'll begin to, to walk with Jesus. So again, if, if you're not a Christian today, if you're not sure you're a Christian, if you doubt that you can be saved, just just humble yourself today. The biggest things that get in the way is our own pride and our own thinking, whether, you know, whether we don't need Jesus or we're too bad to be saved by Jesus. All of that is a slap in the face to Christ, okay? We simply want to humble ourselves. So again, if you're not sure, just bow your head. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's important we understand it's not our words that saved us. We don't just puppet some words and we're saved. We do use our words, however, to communicate our, our heart to the Lord, right? And so it's the genuineness and, and sincerity and humility of your heart that matters. But just bow your head today and pray to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I, I confess that I am a sinful person. I admit it, Lord. I'm sinful. I've done wrong, Lord. And Lord, I know that I'm hopeless and helpless and desperate without you. But Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect, righteous life, even for me, and died a perfect, righteous death, even for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen today. And I therefore ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and confidence and trust in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Again. That's how you become a Christian, um, you know, is just giving your heart to Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And it's important we understand that it doesn't matter what our past is, okay? Verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Some of the most effective Christians in history were people who had the most sinful lives before they gave their life to Christ because they always understood, right? You know, really the price paid. Oftentimes when we haven't lived what we perceive to be a very bad or a very sinful life, we don't really understand how sinful we are and our desperate need of Jesus. We don't understand that without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits, okay? Um, So again, every single one of us needs Jesus, whether we think we've only sinned a little which none of us have, all of us are horrible sinners, right? Or whether we actually have, in practical fact, lived, you know, uh, an evil, outwardly, you know, just consistently sinful life throughout all our days, okay? Whatever level of sin we've lived in, okay, the, the work of Jesus Christ at the cross is sufficient for all of it, okay? And again, once we give our lives to Christ, Christ, we want to have a a habit of testifying about what Jesus did and how he did it in our salvation experience, but in all aspects of our lives. We ought to have hundreds, thousands of testimonies of where Jesus has worked in our lives, right? Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. So again, Paul is testifying here how he was before he came to Christ, right? He intensely persecuted the church, tried to destroy it, had Christians put to death, right? You can see in Acts 7 and Acts 9, right? In verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. This is an important testimony because many of us are not zealous for Christ, but we're zealous for the traditions that we were raised in. We were we might have been raised Hindus, and so we're we're zealous for those traditions. We might have been raised Islam, and so we're zealous for those traditions. We might have been raised in you know in one of the many Christian denominations. Maybe we were raised Catholic or or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or or Methodist, or Baptist, or what it is, and we're, and we're zealous for the traditions of those denominations, okay? None of that is right, okay? All of it is unbiblical, okay? We're not called to be zealous, Becky, for the traditions of our ancestors, okay? We're not called to be zealous for traditions at all. Now, again, Um, You know, we have traditions as Americans and different families, we have traditions, but traditions ought not be our religion. Our religion is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our religion is, is, is trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul and spending our lives growing to know him, growing to love him growing to know his love for us, and above all, growing to obey him, and growing to repent when we fall short, right, man? So like Paul, wherever you are today, wherever you are zealous for anything but Jesus Christ, 
when it comes to any religion, you just want to stop and repent right here, Gwenda, right? You know, anywhere that we're zealous, I'll say again, for anything in religion other than Jesus Christ, we simply need to earnestly repent, Jesse, right? Just go before the Lord and repent and say, Lord, you know, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. You, Lord, deserve all of my zeal and none of these traditions. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And he's actually being humble here. He was advancing more than any of them, right? He was more zealous than any of them. He was so zealous for the traditions of his fathers that he, he thought the church of Jesus Christ needed to be destroyed. He thought Christians needed to be killed, okay? I mean, he's understating it, believe it or not. Look at verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. So he gives glory to God. He says that God set him apart from birth and called him by his grace, okay? Every one of us in Christ today has been set apart from birth. Our Heavenly Father has set each believer apart from birth, okay? Um, you know, I'm not going to get into the, the different doctrines of election here, right? And, and again, there are only two, you know, real conversations on election, and that is, you know, what was the cause of God setting you apart from birth? Um, a Calvinist believes that, that, that God chose you before you were born, and it had nothing to do with anything that you would believe or do, okay? Um, where, you know, a, you know, a, a, a certain Baptist or, or, or Wesleyan Methodist um, or Arminian believe that, that certainly God did set you apart from birth, but they believe it's because, you know, he foreknew right? Romans 8, 29, he foreknew that when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would of your own will give your life to Jesus Christ, okay? Um, you know, 1 Timothy 2, 4 says it's God's will that, that all human beings be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that it's God's will that no human being perish, that, that everyone come and give their lives to Jesus Christ and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But every single one of us that have, has, has, has given our lives to Christ, it, it happened before even the world, Ephesians 1 says, right? We were elect before the foundations of the world, right? Um, even before the world was created, we were chosen in Christ. So, again, the, the theological, you know, um, tension that comes in, in the church and it is an important doctrine, comes down to what was the reasoning behind God's choosing you and choosing me for salvation. Um, and again, one side believes it had nothing to do with us whatsoever in any manner or in any way. And the other side believes that, you know, that God foreknowing who, when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who would receive it, and knowing who would reject it makes sure that all who would receive it, you know, 
hear it and chooses before and chose before the world began those people that would receive it. So, um, again, the scripture, you know, has throughout the Bible, you'll see arguments for both sides, right? Um, when you get into Romans 9, you see, you see an immense focus on God's sovereignty, right? He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Um, and yet we can go through, you know, countless other scriptures like we just did. First Timothy 2, 4, you know, Second uh, Peter 3, 9, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall be saved. And so uh, this is kind of an in-house argument that is uh, those of us who have a, a passion for theology and a, a zeal for theology, we bounce these things around. Um, and, and, and generally, the more passionate we are, the more on one side we are. Um, you know, personally, I, I'm not certain, right, which one of these is correct because, you know, the, there are doctrines on both sides. There are scriptures on both sides. And the reality is it's not fully revealed. The whole argument comes down to the sovereignty of God and the free will of human beings and where they intersect regarding, you know, our salvation, right? So, but the fact is, Paul says, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, all of us who've come to know Jesus Christ have been set apart from birth and called by the grace of God, right? We're not saved by anything we've done, but by God's grace and mercy, right? In receiving Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. Nothing we do saves us Simply receiving and trusting in Christ, humbling ourselves and receiving Jesus is the only way for all 8 billion people in the world to be saved. He says, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. So now he's again, he's moved into the, the aspect of his testimony of when, <clears throat> of when Jesus revealed himself to him. And he's showing that to them now. He talked about what he was like before he came to Christ. And now when Jesus revealed himself uh, to Paul, we, we can see the, the story in Acts chapter nine and the account and how it happened. Um, you know, he revealed, Jesus revealed himself, the son of God revealed himself. But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. So again, if you're in Christ today, God the Father has been pleased to reveal God the Son to you, all right? And receiving God the Son, you receive God the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And again, we can see the, the cooperation of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the work of salvation and in every aspect of our lives, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He wants to make it clear at the end of 16 that I did not consult any man. So he did not receive the gospel from any man or any woman. He wasn't taught it, right? And then when Jesus revealed it to Paul personally, right? When, when, when Paul received the gospel and the understanding of the gospel directly from Jesus Christ, right? He didn't consult any man even then, okay? Um we, we're not trusting in men and women. Our trust is in Jesus Christ alone, okay? 
We trust the word of God, the Bible. We give our lives to Jesus. You don't have to ask any minister, any pastor, not your mom, not your dad. You don't need permission from anyone. Jesus is calling all 8 billion people in the world to himself today. Okay, You don't need to consult any person, no pastor, no elder, no church leader, no family member, no friend. There is no authority to consult. God the Father has given his Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect righteous life and died a torturous death. And we need consult anyone, nor ought we consult anyone, that the Son of God has given his life that we might receive him. And we don't need approval from anyone on that. Paul didn't consult any person when he did it, and nor do you and I. Okay? I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So again, you see how he's given a detailed explanation of what happened in his conversion. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> He's doing this. <coughs> He's being so detailed about his conversion to Jesus Christ so that when you and I read it, and when his readers read it, all the different churches in this province of Galatia, right? <coughs> they can see how meticulously Paul is is conveying and testifying to what happened in his life so that, you know, uh, it, it's not, there's nothing, uh, you know, ambiguous here. There's nothing confusing. There's nothing nebulous, right, Corinne? It's clear. When you read this, he's going, you know, just event by event by event, what happened, where he went, exactly how it happened, and, you know, and what he did. He says, I did not consult any man. I didn't ask anyone permission. God himself revealed himself to me. Jesus is God. The son of God revealed himself to Paul. And he said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. So he didn't go up and get permission from Peter, James, or John, or any of the apostles, right? He says, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Okay, um, and you can see these in, um, you know, when you read through the end of Acts 9 um, and you go on through, you know, 10 and 11, um, you know, you can see just the, uh, you know, and the whole book of Acts will chronicle, you know, um, you know, some of the life of, of, uh, of, the, of the apostles that walk with Jesus, but most of it will chronicle the life of the apostle Paul. Okay. Now, in verse 18, he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. So three years pass, okay, um, where he's just studying and growing in Christ, um, growing in his relationship with Christ, growing in his knowledge of the word of God. Then after three years, okay, Paul goes up to Jerusalem and he gets acquainted with to know Peter. And he stays with him, he says, specifically 15 days. So again, do you see the certainty of all these things, right? He didn't say a few days. He didn't say a while. I mean, look at the specifics as you go through this. I did not consult any man. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. It says specifically, I went immediately into Arabia, later returned to Damascus, 
Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Do you see how specific everything is? You see this, David? I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. Verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Okay, um, uh, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, you know, James is also a son of Mary. Um, you know, James obviously was a son of Mary and Joseph, where, you know, Jesus was a son of Mary and God, right? Because it was God who made Mary pregnant with Jesus, right? Um, verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Now, James, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, gave his life to Jesus Christ, right? Um, and, you know, and he was, you know, he was, he was, you know, the known leader of the early church, right? Verse 20. And look at this. So he goes through all of these specifics. He's detailed in, in, in such a specific way. He's giving you every little thing that happened. You see that, Chris? He's detailing every single aspect of his life, where he was, how long he was there, who he spent time with, okay? What he did do, what he didn't do. And look at verse 20. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Wow. Let that verse sink in. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. They're all important, Scott, but... I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. You hear that, Chloe? I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. When we don't believe biblical Christianity, when we don't believe what's written in the Bible, when we don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Okay, we're, we're not only calling Jesus a liar, who in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're calling God the Father a liar. We're calling God the Holy Spirit a liar. And we're calling this, this apostle, this man, Paul, we're saying, Paul, you're, you're either a liar or you're delusional or you're crazy or you're just deceptive or you're manipulative or you're misleading. Okay. He says in verse 20, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Okay. This really happened. Okay. All of this is true. Every aspect of this is true. God, the son, Jesus Christ revealed himself to the apostle Paul. Okay. Then called him to be his apostle and to preach the gospel that all the world, Jews and Gentiles, remember he says to the Gentiles, Peter went to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. And when you look back on history, Paul's, uh, the ministry that, that, that Jesus had in Paul has had a massive billions upon billions worldwide effect. You know, Peter also an incredible man of God, but, but his ministry with the Jewish people has been stuck for the last 2,000 years, right? And still the vast majority of Jewish people have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as they absolutely need to do, okay? Now remember, there are only two groups of people in the Bible, uh, people that are Jews 
and those who are, are non-Jews, and those of us like myself who are non-Jews are called Gentiles. Paul said, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. I mean, that verse to me, again, it's such an encouraging verse. It's all true. It's all real. Paul said, I assure you it's not a lie that that God the Son, Jesus Christ, became a human man, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, was raised from the dead, and that only by trusting in him, Kristen, right? Only by relying in him, Lauren, right? Only by clinging to him, Nathan, can you be forgiven of your sins? Can you come into relationship with the triune God? Can you avoid eternity in hell? And can you ultimately go to heaven when you die and spend eternity with God the Father God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. None of it's a lie, nor is anything. All the details he just gave you of his conversion. He wasn't lying that he persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. He wasn't lying that he was he was zealously trying to pursue the, the traditions of his fathers, right? He wasn't lying that he was advancing in Judaism, although he was more humble than he could have been there. He could have said, I was advancing more than anyone, right? Um, you know, he wasn't lying when he said that it was by God's grace that he called him from birth. And that by God's grace, he revealed Jesus to him. None of this is a lie. You can trust it completely and totally. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Biblical Christianity is the truth. Jesus of his own mouth in John 14, 6 said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 21, he continues the testimony. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. Okay, again, specifically telling you what happened. 22, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, 23. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, 24. And they praise God because of me. The details here, the testimony is so specific so detailed, so extensive, and it's not a lie. It's all true. When you read the testimony of the Apostle Paul, it builds your faith in Christ. Countless thousands, millions, undoubtedly, have come to Christ through this testimony and through your testimony. Okay, When you testify, again, not only of how the Lord saved you in salvation, but when we testify about what the Lord has done in our lives throughout our Christian lives and how he's worked in our lives, it draws others to Jesus Christ. It helps us to overcome. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and by the word of their testimony, can consistently talking about and sharing what Jesus has done in your life, what he is doing, and how he's doing it. Um, again, it's uh, throughout this, this chapter, throughout these verses, we see 
just a meticulous, detailed accounting of what Jesus did in the life of Paul and how he did it. And Paul said that before God, every single thing I'm telling you is absolutely true and there's no lie in it. You and I can trust fully in the word of God. We can trust that this whole thing is real, that it's all real, that there is a God and that all of us are sinful and have fallen short of his standard and that Jesus Christ, God the Son, our God, entered the world in his love for us and lived a perfect righteous life for us, died a perfect righteous death for us and has been raised from the dead. And by simply receiving him, and again, if you're not sure, go back and rewind the tape to where we, you know, we showed you how to receive Jesus as your Savior. Again, use the words that I used, but it's the humility and the genuineness of your heart that matters. It's not a lie. This whole thing is true. And just as Paul gave this detailed testimony, you and I need to have a lifestyle, Stephen, of consistently testifying to what Jesus is doing as we grow in our relationship with him, grow to walk with him, grow to know him, right, Jason, grow to love him. We need to consistently be testifying to the truth of all these things. And when we testify, let's not exaggerate. We generally have a, you know, we have a, you know, we have a tendency in the church and I ask you to forgive us, Father, I've done this to, that when when we testify, our testimony can get bigger and bigger and bigger, Okay. We just want to testify to the truth of what Jesus did. We don't need to make it bigger. We don't need to make it more exciting. We don't need to make it less exciting. Let's not lie and exaggerate in our testimony, okay? Verse 20, I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Just give the details of what Jesus has done. Again, not just in your salvation, what he did for you last week, last month, last year, what he's doing in your life today. And again, Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It's always Jesus first, right? Um, in John, Jesus said, you know, no one comes to me unless the father draws him, right? I think it's John 10. It's always the work of our father first, okay? It's always he that makes the first move, right? But he's drawing all of us today. So give your life to Jesus Christ today and begin to testify more and more about all that Jesus has done and is doing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you and we do praise you, Lord, again for calling this apostle Paul. And Father, just as Paul said, and they praise God because of me, I pray that we would live lives that cause people to praise God because of us. Father, I ask you to forgive me where I've I've often lived a life, Lord, where it, you know, where where people could uh be turned off and not praise God or, or be angry at God because of me, Lord. So so help us to live Christ-like and Christ-centered lives. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. We thank you for it. Give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.